passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. For the rest of us here this morning, we are in the midst of a sermon series on spiritual health. And this morning, we're going to look at the, the topic of um, evangelism and uh, sharing the gospel with other people, or uh, to use um, another phrase, um, to, to witness, um, uh, to testify of the gospel to those that are around us. And I want to start by uh, sharing a, a story that Mark Dever shares in his, his incredible book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. And he tells the story of, of John Harper um, in the early 1900s. Harper was born in Scotland in the 1870s. Um, he became a Christian in his teens after his conversion. Um, he, he immediately got into the work of evangelism, of sharing the gospel. He took that very seriously. And by the time he was in his early 20s, um, he was actually invited from Scotland to move to London where he served with the, the Baptist Pioneer Mission. And he did that in his early 20s for a couple years, um, exercising his gifts in evangelism. And then shortly after that, around the age of 24, he was sent out from the Baptist Pioneer Mission uh, to plant a church. And he served at that church that he planted for about 13 years. And, and when he started, there were 25. And, and because of his evangelistic passion, that church in London grew to over 500 over the course of those 13 years. And during that time, as after he left that church, um, he, he began because of his passion for evangelism, uh, began to catch the attention of, of churches across the globe, and, and including uh, Moody Church in Chicago. And so he was asked to come to Chicago and, and share um, some talks on evangelism. Uh, he did so, and then um, in the early 1900s, he was actually invited back um, after a, a few years back in, in England. Uh, asked to come to the United States, come to Chicago, share um, in these meetings focusing on um, preparing uh, other believers for the work of evangelism. And he agreed to do that, and he's, he's about ready to go um, across the Atlantic Ocean um, to, to return to Chicago for this. His wife had died a couple years before this, and uh, so he just had, it was just him and his, his six-year-old daughter that went on this trip to the United States. About halfway through their journey across the Atlantic, um, Harper woke up his daughter in the middle of the night, uh, telling her that their ship had struck an iceberg. And their ship was sinking. And so he takes his daughter to a lifeboat um, with a cousin of, the, of his daughter that was, that was traveling with them. And uh, he, he puts his daughter and the cousin on this lifeboat and uh, says, I I'll join you once we get picked up by this rescue ship that is on its way. And if you're familiar with history in the uh, early 1900s, you can probably guess that this was the ship Titanic that Harper and his daughter and family were sailing on. His daughter survived. Harper did not. And yet, astonishingly, that moment where he puts his daughter onto this lifeboat is not the last moment that we hear of John Harper and um, how his life uh, was carried out. Several months later, after uh, the, the Titanic had sank, there was a prayer meeting taking place in Canada, and uh, a man spoke up about how he was also on the Titanic and recounted the story of his own conversion. And I just want to read to you um, this account. It's told by Moody Adams in the book by Dever that I uh, mentioned earlier. It says this, 
The man clung to a piece of floating debris in the freezing waters after the Titanic had sunk. Suddenly, he said, a wave brought a man near, his name John Harper. He, too, was holding a piece of wreckage. And he called out to the man, man, are you saved? And the man said, no, I am not, I replied. Harper shouted back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the waves bore Harper away, but a little later, he was washed back beside me again. Are you saved now? He called out. No, I answered. And again, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then Harper lost his hold on the wood and sank. And there, alone in the night with two miles of water underneath me, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I am John Harper's last convert. And stories like that leave us in awe, don't they? Just this picture of how God uses the faithfulness of his people, how God is at work in his power bringing the lost to saving knowledge of the truth. And yet, if we're being honest, not only do these stories leave us in awe of God's power, they can maybe leave us feeling more than a little guilty when we consider our own evangelistic tendencies or our lack thereof when it comes to our tendencies with sharing the gospel. And that's certainly true of me. Listen, I have no problem sharing the gospel up here. I have no problem calling people to repentance in a, in a situation setting such as this. But when I have an opportunity to talk to my neighbor or a friend or an acquaintance who doesn't know Jesus, I freeze up. When I do speak, it's, it's muddled, it's lacking coherence and clarity. And, and when I consider the question of this sermon series, am I spiritually healthy? And I look at my patterns of, of sharing Jesus with other people, I'm, I'm not really fond of the answer when it comes to this specific week, this specific topic. And maybe that's you this morning. You grabbed a bulletin on your way in, and as you grab that bulletin, you settle into your seat before the service, you open it up, and you see it talks about evangelism, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure I really want to, to look at this this morning, this idea of witnessing, this idea of sharing the gospel, and you get uncomfortable, and, and maybe you have no, no problem with a life that's devoted to God's word like we looked in week one. Maybe you have no problem with a life that's devoted to worship like we looked at in week two, or genuine love for others, both in and outside of the church like we looked at last week. But then you begin to think, and you're like, I can't remember the last time that I invited someone to church, let alone the last time that I shared the gospel with someone on my own. And if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you not to, to look away or, or plug your ears or ignore this. This idea of out of sight, out of mind might work for other areas, but when it comes to spiritual health, we, we can't afford to do that. And so this morning, what I want us to do is we're looking at the topic of evangelism, looking at whether we are spiritually healthy and sharing the gospel with other people. I just want to examine this topic in three areas by asking three questions. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray as we uh, jump into these questions Pray once more. Father, as we consider the faithfulness of, of saints long ago, like John Harper, um, God, we, uh, we just first say you alone are worthy of praise. You indeed are a good God, and we thank you that not just that you're a good God, but you also are an extremely patient God. And as we consider what it would look like for us to be witnesses to the greatness of the gospel this morning, we ask for your help. We ask that you would give us the grace to see whether we are obedient to the Great Commission, and we ask that you would encourage us to take steps 
in faith, of faith, that you might receive glory in our lives and in the lives of others. And we ask these things for Jesus' sake and in the hope and the confidence of his coming kingdom. Amen. All right, as we look at this topic, I want to just start by, by defining the word evangelism. What exactly do we mean by evangelism? You'll notice in the sermon series title, we're using this, this word witness. I, I've already talked about sharing the gospel, and I've used evangelism. Are these all referring to something different, or, or are we just using different words to refer to the same thing? And there's probably some nuance here, and, and each of these might mean something different, but I'll just say, right now, I'm just using all of these interchangeably. They're referring to the same thing. And this is what I want us to have in mind when we think of evangelism, what we're talking about when we talk about evangelism. It is this. Evangelism is simply telling others the good news of Jesus. All right? So when we talk about evangelism, that's all we're talking about, telling others the good news of Jesus. That's actually found in the word evangelism itself. Evangelism comes from a Greek word for good news, euangelion or evangelion. There, there's, it just comes from the word itself. And so when we say witness, what we're really referring to is bearing witness to the good news of Jesus. In other words, we're saying God has done something amazing. And I am a witness to that good news in my own life. And so when we're talking about sharing the gospel, we're saying the exact same thing. Gospel literally just means good news. So evangelism is the act of sharing the gospel, the story of what Jesus has done, and sharing that with others. Now, all that said, it's worth being crystal clear what we mean when we're talking about the gospel itself. What is the gospel in its clearest, most reduced form. If we're to distill the, the gospel down to, to just a few sentences, what would it include? And, and thankfully, we don't have to make those decisions on our own. We actually look at the Bible, and we see that that is something that the Bible gives to us. 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he gives us just a few short verses on the heart of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, says this, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You can just stop right there. Notice what Paul is doing here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. He was reminding the church, readers of this letter, that he, he's reminding them of the gospel that he had preached. And he's saying, you know what, it's, it's crucial for you, it's important for you to cling to that gospel. You have to hold fast to it. And then in verses 3 and 4, he actually explains what that gospel is. That's what we see in verses 3 and 4. Just a couple observations. First, in verse 3, we see Paul declare that we are sinful, that we have all gone our own way, that we all know the good that we should do, and yet we refuse to do it. We choose not to do it, that we actually elevate other things in our lives to the highest place in our lives, whether it's ourselves or our wants, our desires, things, money, our career, whatever it is. We've taken something and we've elevated it to the place of God that doesn't deserve to be God. We've dethroned God, taken him off his throne, and we place something or someone else 
in its place. And the Bible refers to that as sin. It's substituting something in the place of God. But that's not just the gospel. That's not all that the gospel is. The gospel recognizes, declares that we are sinful, that we've replaced God with something else, and yet it doesn't stop there. Notice in verse 3, Paul also says that Christ died for our sins. That not only are we sinful, but then there's also hope in the midst of that sinfulness. That while we were deserving of death because we dethroned God, Christ bore that penalty that we deserved. And this is the astonishing good news of the gospel. Not that we're sinners, but in spite of that reality, we might be set free from the curse of sin because of Jesus. Notice what else Paul says. He doesn't just stop there. In verse 4, he says Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. Instead, he rose again from the dead. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is talking about the importance of Jesus' resurrection. And he says, Jesus' resurrection assures you, if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, of your own future resurrection. It's guaranteed. Because death has been defeated in Jesus. The good news is that that life with God is possible because of Jesus' victory. Now, we could stop there. But I think there's one more thing that's worth mentioning from these verses. Not only do they mention sin, not only do they mention substitution, not only do they mention victory and resurrection. Notice this, this repetition of this phrase, in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, what Paul is saying is that all of this is a part of God's plan. And that's part of the really good news of the gospel. That this, God, this wasn't God just, you know, making things up on the fly. From the very beginning, elsewhere in Scripture, we're told that before the foundation of the world, this is a part of God's plan to bring people into his family. And this God is all-powerful, that nothing is too hard for this God. And what he has promised he will do, period. There's no need to doubt that. And that's what we mean when we're talking about sharing the gospel, when we're talking about evangelism. Evangelism is the act of telling others the good news of what Jesus has done and how they might be saved, how they might take that reality and find salvation in Jesus. And there's a number of things that we confuse with evangelism, and most of them are really good things, but they're not the main thing. They're not evangelism itself. If we were to consider some things that are not evangelism to be evangelism, then we would miss the mark. I just want us to consider three because these are important for us this morning. The first one is this. Don't confuse evangelism with sharing or with defending the faith. Don't confuse evangelism with defending the faith. Defending the faith against objections is a good thing. Sometimes it is a required part of sharing the gospel with certain groups of people. Think of the skeptic, the agnostic, those who who struggle to reconcile the differences of, of parts of the Bible with their own experience. And yet, defending the faith, also known as apologetics, is not the same thing as evangelism. Now, you might think I'm splitting hairs, but this is important for two reasons, at least two reasons. The first one is this. Defending the rationality of the faith is a necessary thing, but don't mistake intellectual arguments about creation or the validity of the resurrection or about the virgin birth 
with the charge that God has given to his people to share the good news of Jesus. Those are not the same thing. Second reason why this is important. Distinguishing evangelism, sharing your faith from apologetics, defending the faith, should take weight off of your shoulders if you feel like you have to have all of the answers to all of these questions before you take a step of obedience in telling others about Jesus. You don't. You don't have to have all of the answers. In fact, there's something profoundly winsome if you are telling someone about the good news of Jesus, you're sharing the gospel with them, and they ask a question that you cannot answer on your own, and, instead, and you just respond with saying, that's a good question. Can I get back to you on that? There's something profoundly winsome about that. So while defending your faith is a good thing, it is a necessary thing, it is not the same thing as sharing your faith. There's another thing that we confuse with evangelism, and that is good works. Don't confuse evangelism with our good works. We'll discuss this later. Good works are an essential part of validating evangelism, and yet we should strongly consider good works not only as a way to open doors for evangelism, but also as, a, as an act of worship itself, and yet doing good, ministering to the poor, taking care of the weak and the powerless, pursuing justice. These are good things. They're near and dear to the heart of God, and yet we can't confuse them with evangelism itself. Maybe you've heard the statement that's wrongly attributed to Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Very catchy, very pithy, very wrong. Paul says this, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? We have to be people who pursue justice and good works, and yet we cannot say that that is the same thing as evangelism. One final thing, probably the most important to me, don't confuse evangelism with the results of evangelism. Hear, hear me very clearly on this. How a person responds to the message of the gospel is not your responsibility. God alone can bring the spiritually dead to life, not you. Some of the most evangelistically minded people that I know. In fact, this morning as I was reading, rereading for my sermon, the two most evangelistic, evangelistically minded people I know have seen so few converts from their faithfulness to the call to share the gospel. Precious few people have come to Christ under their ministries in spite of their passion to share the gospel with other people. William Carey, Hudson Taylor, many more trailblazers of modern missions toiled for decades before they saw significant conversions in their ministries, and yet that doesn't mean that they weren't evangelizing. If you read through the book of Acts, it's abundantly clear that it's not sharing the gospel that brings someone to salvation, but it's the power of God alone that leads to people coming to faith. 
We see regularly in the book of Acts statements such as this from Acts chapter 2. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God is the one who is at work bringing people into his family. And that should lift a giant weight off of our shoulders because we're reminded that faithfulness just means we share the gospel and we leave the results up to God. John John Stott puts it this way, to evangelize does not mean to win converts, but simply to announce the good news irrespective of the results. And so if you find yourself discouraged because you've tried to share the gospel with others in the past, you haven't seen the response you hoped for, don't lose heart. That's not your problem. That's not your job. You've been faithful. Your job is not to get results. Your job is simply to speak the gospel. Now, you might already know all of that already. You know the gospel. You know what it means to share the gospel, and yet you still struggle to actually do it. And so let's ask ourselves, why is it that we don't evangelize? Let's consider five reasons. First, we don't share the gospel because we've misunderstood our calling. Maybe we don't share the gospel because we've misunderstood our calling. For many of us, we've professionalized the work of ministry. We've made the mission of the church really the mission just of a a select few who are highly qualified and specialized individuals. And yet the reality is that the calling for evangelism, of evangelism, is for all Christians. It's not just for pastors, not just for ministry workers, not just for missionaries. Charles Spurgeon once said something along the lines of, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And it might be stated a little harder than I want it to be. And yet there's some some reality there that every single one of us has been called to be on mission, whether that is internationally or it is across the street. It is the calling of every Christian, not just a select few. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, reminds us that that God has actually equipped the saints for the work of the ministry, that all Christians have been entrusted with this work of the ministry, Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, gave all those things. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We might say, well, what exactly is the work of the ministry? Well, then we can look elsewhere at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So maybe we don't evangelize because we've missed the Great Commission as something that is entrusted to all of us, not just a select few. Second reason we don't evangelize. Maybe we don't evangelize is because we we don't share the gospel because we don't think we know enough. We think that we have this high bar of everything that we have to, to know before we share the gospel, and we don't feel like we are quite ready to do it. Instead, we should echo the words of the healed blind man in John chapter 9. He didn't know a whole lot, and yet he knows enough to tell others about Jesus. John chapter 9, one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. There's a myth that you have to know all the answers or have all the answers before you can share the gospel with others. A third reason, we don't share the gospel because we don't know any non-Christians. 
For some of us, it can be easy to insulate ourselves from other people by only spending time with other Christians. How many non-Christians do you know? If you don't know many, what might God be calling you to do to begin to rub shoulders with those that don't know him so you might be able to share the gospel with them? Fourth, we don't share the gospel because of our unbelief. I wonder if we really just don't believe that God is able to save those who are far from him. A few months ago, I was praying for someone that I've been praying for for a long time. They don't know Jesus, and, and I was just struck with that truth. I intellectually knew that God could save this person, and yet practically, I was tempted to stop praying because it didn't seem like there was any way that this person would turn to Jesus. You catch the arrogance of that thought? The belief that I was able to respond to the gospel, but there's no way that person would? Of course it's impossible for the unbeliever to show any interest unless God is, is at work in their heart calling them. Remember Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2 talking about our state before salvation. says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins and in which you once walked. Everyone is spiritually dead. When Paul says dead, that's what he means. It's not as though there are two categories of spiritually dead. Those who can muster up enough interest in the gospel on their own and those who are actually spiritually dead. That's ludicrous. It is impossible for anyone to come to faith in Jesus without God first being at work in their heart. And yet all too often, we are guilty of this unbelief. The reality is every single conversion is miraculous. Anytime the dead are brought to life, it is a miracle. And that should encourage us in our evangelism because that person that you think it is impossible for them to trust in Jesus, you're right. It is impossible. And yet it's also impossible that you would have done it without God at work in your heart. So many times we don't evangelize, we don't share the gospel because of our own unbelief. Finally, we don't share the gospel because of a lack of fear. That might surprise you because if I were to take a poll of Christians today saying, why is it that you don't share the gospel? I, I would guess that the number one reason people would share is because I'm afraid. And yet, the Apostle Peter makes the connection between a lack of evangelism and a lack of fear. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 is oftentimes used when discussing the importance of being ready to, to evangelize, to share the gospel with other people. And yet, First Peter says something else. Before he says that, he tells us, yes, don't fear other people. And yet the key, the key to not fearing other people is actually to honor the, the Lord Christ as holy in your hearts. And this is almost certainly an allusion to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, we read this. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, 
Him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. In the context of Isaiah, God is telling Isaiah, hey, you know what? This prophetic message that you are about to embark on, it's not going to be popular. People are not going to like to hear it. And yet, in the midst of that, do not fear other people, rather fear God. And when we fear God, rather than fearing other people, when we tremble before God, rather than trembling before other people, then we are honoring the Lord as holy, as Isaiah says. So what is Peter saying? Well, Peter is saying that the key to to not being afraid of other people when you're sharing the gospel with them, when, when you're... Uh, afraid of, of how they will respond. The answer is not to just toughen up, but instead to, to turn your attention, to turn your gaze to the Lord God himself, to fear God himself. Paradoxically, when we're afraid to share the gospel with others, the, the, the root cause is, is that we're not afraid enough, that we don't have enough fear that we don't fear God himself. And we can look at other reasons why we don't share the gospel. And some of those, I just want to take a moment and say, are legitimate. A teacher may have a number of unbelieving students in his or her classroom, but they risk their employment and further opportunities to invest in those students if they were to share the gospel with their students. Same is true for employers and employees. Honestly, even sharing the gospel with coworkers while you are on the clock is, is a challenge because you are getting paid not to share the gospel. You are getting paid to do your work. And you look at Paul's letters to the church, the early church, says, you know what? In your work, you should honor God by honoring your employers with your hard work. And it takes a lot of wisdom, a lot of discernment, and it will vary from situation to situation to situation. I don't have a blanket, one-size-fits-all answer of what you should do in every situation. And yet, there are a few things that we can do to just start in this path of obedience, cultivating a habit of sharing the gospel with other people that God has placed in our lives. I just want you to consider five ways we can start to share the gospel. First one is this. Evangelism starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. As we've seen, conversion does not come from you. It does not come from me. It's not something that we can just, if we put the right formula together, then it will automatically lead to someone becoming a Christian. Salvation is the work of of God. It's it's God's job. It's not your job. It's not my job. So it makes all the sense in the world that we would pray, that we would spend time praying. Paul sees the necessity for prayer, for the spread of the gospel through his ministry. Colossians chapter 4, the last words he says essentially to the church in Colossae, he says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. 
Paul sees the, the necessity of prayer when it comes to sharing the gospel with other people. And so I would ask, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for that they might come to know Jesus? And, and don't just pray that they would come to, to know Jesus as though someone else will do it. But are you actually praying for opportunities to share the gospel with them? To invite them to church? Maybe you don't have anyone that comes to mind of, of who am I praying for in this regard. Take some time this afternoon. Set aside time to pray and ask God, who are you calling me to pray for? And then just sit in silence and wait. And who does God bring to mind? Write their names down. If you have kids, do this for kids. What an incredible way to model a humble commitment to evangelism than to involve your children in the process. There are hundreds of stories of the faithfulness of people praying for not just years, but decades for certain individuals, and then at long last they come to faith in Jesus. Powerful stories, and those are just the ones that are written down. We can't begin to comprehend how many people have come to faith because of the prayers of God's people praying that they would come to know him. Evangelism starts with prayer. Evangelism also starts with a holy life. One danger of not taking the call to a holy life seriously is that it can undermine your ability to share the gospel with others. If your neighbors know you as someone who is argumentative or just unpleasant to be around, it's going to be hard to tell them about Jesus and convince them that it's worth listening to. When we first moved to uh, the house that we currently live in about a year and a half ago, um, we were doing some, some tree trimming and cutting down a number of trees in, in our backyard. Um, got a little carried away and accidentally cut down one of my neighbor's trees as well. And I was terrified. One, I mean, how much is this going to cost to fix this problem that I just got myself into? But also, I was just terrified, like, oh, yeah, I'm a pastor, and yet I don't check these kind of things beforehand. What kind of reputation do I have in the eyes of my neighbors? Your, your life matters to those that are around you. More positively, not just, hey, don't screw up like Jordan. More positively, good works have a validating impact, a validating power on your witness to the gospel. One of my favorite passages is Titus chapter 2. It says this, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That last phrase is just earth-shattering. Paul is essentially saying, Servants, you have to excel at being servants. And the reason why is that so that in everything you might adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What an astonishing thought that God says that through your actions you have the chance to make a beautiful gospel even more beautiful to those that are around you. 
And so when you ask, what is my witness, consider that question about your life as well. What does your life tell others about Jesus? Evangelism starts with a holy life. Another, evangelism starts with preparation. It starts with preparation. It was almost exactly nine years ago that Crystal, my wife, and I, we went to a church planting intensive retreat for a week as we got ready to launch the Spencer campus here. And that retreat covered a number of different things, a number of different topics, but the one that stands out to me the most, the one that that is ingrained in my mind, is that we intentionally took an hour taking turns, sharing, practicing sharing the gospel with one another in one-on-one settings. And I'll be the first to tell you, it was horribly awkward. You have a bunch of pastors who know the gospel, practicing, and we're not good role players. Like, I'm supposed to act like I don't know Jesus. Am I supposed to be hard or am I supposed to be easy and make everything that you say, oh yeah, I'm coming to Jesus now. It was terribly forced in the midst of that time. And yet, it was incredibly helpful incredibly helpful in clarifying what a one-on-one conversation with someone else, what I would share with them when I have a chance to share the gospel with them. Have you ever practiced sharing the gospel with others? If not, why not? We practice all other sorts of things all the time. We practice So many different things. Why wouldn't we practice something as important as sharing the gospel with other people? Have you practiced sharing your testimony, the story of how God saved you? If you haven't, then how will you know when you have the opportunity to do it with an unbeliever? How do you know it's going to be clear? How do you know if it's not too long? You focus on too many unimportant things you've lost their attention and of course don't discredit the power of the spirit but this is what paul or excuse me what peter has in mind in that passage from first peter chapter three that we read earlier always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you are you actually preparing yourself to share the gospel with others sometime this year we hope to take some time to offer a couple different classes on how do we share the gospel, just short classes. How do we share the gospel with other people so that we can help you to be prepared for this beautiful high calling? We don't have anything on the calendar. It'll be coming. You'll, you'll know beforehand. But in the interim, why don't you take some time to practice at home? Why don't you take some time to write out your testimony of how God saved you, what he did in your life so that you would have clarity in what you say and what you wouldn't say Rather than seeing that as a waste of time, what what if we saw that as an opportunity to live out 1 Peter 3, verse 15, to be prepared just as Peter says we should be? Evangelism starts with preparation. Fourth, evangelism starts with come and see. It starts with come and see. One of the most powerful things about John's gospel is how many different times we just see someone simply extend an invitation to someone else to just come and see this Jesus. 
It starts in the very first chapter, John chapter 1. One of the two who followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew encounters Jesus. One of the first things that he does after encountering Jesus is say, Hey, Simon, you got to meet this guy. He grabs his brother Simon and, and brings him to Jesus. And there's nothing more to it than that. He just says, this Jesus is worth seeing. And he invites his brother and, and the rest is, as they say, history. Andrew isn't the only one to encounter Jesus and invites someone else to experience the same. Just a few verses later, John chapter 1 again, we have two friends. One of them is a skeptic. They're talking about Jesus. Nathaniel said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and try it out. The woman at the well does the same thing in John chapter 4. She encounters Jesus, this man who tells her everything she's ever done in her own words. What does she do? She tells others about this Jesus. John chapter 4, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. The woman tells people about Jesus. They come to Jesus. What happens next? John chapter 4, a few verses later. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know indeed that this is the Savior of the world. They encountered Jesus, and they believed. Not secondhand, but because they've encountered Jesus, all because someone said, come and see. Join me with this Jesus. What if we had the same approach what if we had this same mindset? Do you feel uncomfortable sharing the gospel with other people in one-on-one -on -one settings? What about just inviting someone to come and see? To, to come and see. Inviting someone to worship. Inviting someone's kids to, to come to Crosswinds Kids or our student ministries on Wednesday nights. Come and see as a powerful way to live out the calling of obedience to evangelism. And at the end of the day, that's what evangelism is. It's a part of obedience to God by taking the gospel and sharing it with others. But is that the only reason why we share the gospel with others? As though it's just this grin and bear it. We just got to do it even though we don't want to, even though it's uncomfortable. We just got to do it because God says we have to be obedient in this area. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's the reason. Evangelism is ultimately rooted in love. It's a love for those who are around us, telling them about the good news that can be theirs in Jesus, but it's also a love for God. In fact, I would say that that's the heart of evangelism. Sharing the gospel is rooted in a concern for the glory of God. Why do we tell others about Jesus? It's because we're concerned about God's glory. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that eventually every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and that will take place willingly or unwillingly. Everyone who has ever lived will one day confess the lordship of Jesus. But notice the purpose of this confession. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? 
to the glory of God the Father. Ultimately, this confession of the lordship of Jesus is about the glory of God the Father, and that's the ultimate passion of evangelism, that God will receive glory in the last day confession from all creation, but our goal, our aim in evangelism is for more to do so willingly. It's for more willing worshipers, that we don't control the outcome, but we do know the God who does control the outcome. And we know that he has chosen to use people like you and people like me to accomplish his purposes. And maybe this morning this sermon is uncomfortable because we look at our lives and we see, you know what? When it comes to spiritual health in this area, I'm not healthy. I'm not intentionally sharing the gospel with other people. What if this morning was the start of a change for our church, that we were a people who took seriously God's call to reach the nations and to reach across the street with the gospel, trusting him for the results? What if we took seriously the call to evangelism? In the book, Finish the Mission, it's a collection of, of Christian authors with short essays. David Platt tells the story of Rajesh. It's a Christian man who's living in a remote area of India, only 0.01% at the time uh, of, of the population was Christian. And it's an incredibly poor area of India, death rate of about 5,000 people a day in that area. And most of them, almost all of them, not knowing Jesus. And Rajesh had, had ministered in that area for years, and yet he'd seen so little movement in this spiritually tough area. He went to a, a gathering of other pastors for a, a time of, of encouragement. Uh, and, and as a part of this time with other pastors, he was encouraged to just walk to a, a, a village, a totally unreached village. Just walk to a village, and the first person that you meet say, I'm here in the name of Jesus I'd like to pray for you in your village. And Rajesh's response, similar to what mine probably would have been in the moment, reluctant. Because he had tried so many different things without any sort of response, and yet he was at his wit's end. He was at the end of his rope, and so he said, you know what, I'll just give it a shot. Hear this following story. Quote, he went into an unreached village, approached the first man he saw, and said, I'm here in the name of Jesus, and I'd like to pray for you in your village. And the man replied, I've never heard about Jesus. Can you tell me more about him? Surprised, Rajesh responded, sure. The man said, wait, I want to have my friends here too. So Rajesh followed this guy to a home where in a matter of minutes, he found himself surrounded by a group of people wanting him to tell them about Jesus. Within two weeks, 25 of them had placed their faith in Christ for salvation. And then those new believers said, why don't we start doing the same thing that Rajesh did for us? And in the days that have followed, churches have been planted in 115 different villages in that area. Do you see how God uses the obedience of his people, even as in Rajesh's case, reluctant obedience to bring people to faith? Listen, I'm, I'm not saying that if you're obedient, you'll see a response like Rajesh. Honestly, here in Northwest Iowa, odds are probably not. And yet we cannot begin to fathom how God might use our faithfulness to the gospel to bring others to faith. 
The question is, are we willing to be faithful to the gospel? Will we answer the call of obedience and tell others about Jesus as God gives us the opportunity? Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to be a people who join in the work you are doing in the world that are on mission, the Great Commission, and trusting you with the result. Help us to be a people who are faithful. God, even now, I just ask that you would bring to mind the names, the faces of friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers, whoever, that you are calling us to pray for, to share the gospel with, with no guarantee that they will respond with repentance and faith. And yet we know and confess and rest in the reality that that's your job, not ours. So help us to be faithful, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.